By now, most of you have probably heard of Bitcoin. Bitcoin has risen more than 100% in the last two months. Certainly Bitcoin is the granddaddy right now. Bitcoin hits a new high, briefly touching 80%. Bitcoin is a new kind of currency that you can use to pay for things. And it's exploded in popularity over the last few years. Bitcoin's success has spawned tons of other digital currencies that share Bitcoin's underlying technology. Ripple is far ahead of everybody else in the space. It has been replaced by Monero as the currency of choice. Charlie Lee is the creator of Litecoin, which is an alternative, a challenger to Bitcoin. Right now, several of these currencies are facing a curious problem. They become too popular for their own good. They weren't originally designed to support so many users, and their networks are struggling to keep up with all the new people flooding in. Nowhere is this problem more acute than in the clogged networks of what's quickly become the world's number two cryptocurrency. The currency is called Ether, and the network that powers it is called Ethereum. Ether's boom has meant that its network has been bogged down by long delays. Which means that many of its users are already desperate for an overhaul. Leading the charge is a young guy I recently met at an Ethereum conference in Cancun. His name, Vlad Zamfir. Hey everyone. Ooh, how's it going? Do I have a clicker? The thing is, if Ethereum were run by a corporation, there'd be a CEO who could sign off on the change. And if Ethereum were run by a central bank, there'd be just a handful of central bankers who'd deliberate and vote yes or no. But Ethereum is run by neither of those things. Just like many of its other cryptocurrency siblings, including Bitcoin, Ethereum was created with this libertarian, anti-corporate ideal of being leaderless. It's Vlad's job to navigate the chaos of that unstructured community, to implement the change that he and so many others have been dreaming of for years. Hi, I'm Brad Stone. And I'm Matthew Lysing. And this week on Decrypted, we're taking you inside Vlad's plan to upgrade Ethereum and his hope to pave the way for this new era of technology to go mainstream. Vlad has big dreams for Ethereum. He sees it as so much more than infrastructure for another currency. But to make all of that possible, he's got to get everyone to agree to his overhaul. So can Vlad pull it off, or will it prove too difficult to rally this huge community with competing interests that spread out across the world? By the end of the episode, you might even understand what blockchain's all about. Stay with us. So, Matt, I'm a little jealous. You got to go to Cancun for the story. I did, although I was stuck inside this conference hall with about 2,000 Ethereum developers the whole time, and (laughs) there was some BO involved. Okay, all right. I take it back. I'm not jealous. Uh, So this conference was where you met our protagonist, Vlad. Tell me what he was like. So he's 27 years old. He has shoulder-length hair that he plays with a lot. He tends to put it in his mouth as he's talking. He's a huge fan of the twisted cartoon Rick and Morty. He likes to snowboard uh, in his off time. You know, he reminded me of Fred Armisen of SNL and Portlandia fame. But there's another interesting thing. You know, he's got this very international background. I was born in Brasov, Romania. In Romania? Yeah. Okay, cool. Did you grow up there? For for the five. Okay. And then where'd you go? Canada. 
I grew up in Ottawa, mostly. I noticed Guelph is something you list. Are you, do you live in Guelph? I went to like, university in Guelph. I lived in Guelph for a number of years. Vlad's parents now live in Switzerland, but Vlad himself more or less doesn't really have a home. He's been so busy traveling from conference to conference that he's on the road full time. Vlad's been interested in computers since he was a young boy. Math has always been my thing. My grandfather was a math professor and he taught me math since I was uh, very young. He says he got into programming when he was 11 or 12. I guess the first time I got into programming, I was uh, playing around in the Warcraft 3 map editor, making like custom games. Uh, And then we had this great environment where you could use drop-down lists to program um, events and all sorts of like actually incredibly complex um, things. And soon enough, that led to a passion for cryptocurrencies. At first, he was focused on Bitcoin. I actually got into Bitcoin um, in my, I think, well, in 2013, which was um, the year after, like my first year of grad school. Um, And, uh, but I, 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 I kind of, Dropped out, not with the intention of going into cryptocurrency, but in, in, like, in the following months, that ended up being what I ended up doing. Now enter Vitalik Buterin, a Russian-Canadian boy genius programmer. The year is 2013, when Vlad got into Bitcoin. And that's when Vitalik created a new kind of cryptocurrency called Ether, powered by a network he called Ethereum. Vitalik was only 19 at the time. And Matt, did you meet Vitalik at this conference too? I did. I asked him how he came up with the name Ethereum. I came up with it myself. Um, I believe, I mean, I remember myself reading a, a, a list of elements from science fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember liking Ethereum because it has this connection to uh, this uh, 19th century scientific theory of you know, like ether, this uh, medium where like, if water waves travel through uh, water, sound waves travel through air, like the hypothesis would be that light waves travel through ether. I just love this name. It's it's geeky. It has a, a hat tip towards uh, history, uh, the sci-fi connotations. It's kind of just perfect for a cryptocurrency. Yeah. And if you met this guy, he's almost like a walking computer. He's just incredibly, incredibly smart. So in 2014, Vitalik met Vlad at a Bitcoin meetup in Toronto. The two soon started talking about the seeds of what would become the project that Vlad would head up. May of 2014, Vitalik had been thinking about it for a few months before that. He told me there was like, you know, future, and like we kind of spent a bunch of time in May actually, like just like hashing things out. But at that point, I was still skeptical; didn't really think it would work. But like in September of 2014, I became like, you know, convinced that it would work. Now, in the niche, nerdy world of Ethereum, Vlad is nothing short of a celebrity. I followed him around at the DevCon conference, and people were hurling questions at him left and right as he walked down the hall. The signatures are on top of it. The signatures, I mean, that may not be enough unless they're... So, I mean, it's a bit complicated. It's a bit more complicated. Sounds like fun. Yeah, it was pretty hectic, but, you know... Even before he was scheduled to make his big speech about his project, people were jostling to talk to him. So this is the project that's going to unclog the Ethereum network? That's the hope. He's named the project Casper because it's related to an earlier type of consensus system known as Ghost or Ghost Protocol. It's called Casper the Friendly Ghost, a correct by construction blockchain. 
This is the introduction for Vlad rallying the crowd. There must have been about 2,000 people in the conference hall, and they were getting excited, but then he ran into a PowerPoint snafu. As we all do. Even math wonder kids struggle with PowerPoint. You would have thought they were chanting for a rock star. Really sorry, guys, but, you know, I swear to God it's going to happen, and you'll be impressed. So did it happen? Yeah, he eventually got it to work. And were you impressed with his ideas? Yeah, it, it was mostly a ton of crazy math that I didn't understand, but from what I could tell, it went very well. Part of Vlad's job is to figure out the super complicated math behind his project. But another part is evangelizing the project itself, trying to get everyone to come aboard. And that's a steep challenge, just as the more technical problems he's trying to solve. Vlad is kind of like a politician. Yeah, he'd probably cringe at that, but it's true. Because then just, it's nightmarishly difficult. It's like an extraordinarily difficult distributed systems problem. A distributed systems problem? What does that mean? That's a very technical way of saying that, just like our own messy democracy, it's really hard to get a large group to all get behind Casper. I mean, these are people spread all around the world, most of whom don't know each other. So how would they actually implement Vlad's change? Well, once Vlad's done figuring out the math, then there are going to be these other developers who come in and turn Vlad's math into code. And that code goes into an updated version of the software that people use to navigate the Ethereum universe. So then, people will either decide to adopt that update or not. It's kind of like when Apple pushes a new iOS update on you, and you decide whether to download it. So is this like a vote? It's not a formal vote, no. But you could think of it like the people who adopt the new software are voting yes, and the people who keep using the old software are voting no. And as long as enough computers adopt the update with Vlad's changes, Ethereum will have effectively moved on to the new system. And what happens if that fails, if not enough people adopt the new system? Well, it would basically give birth to a new version of Ethereum. So there'd be the Ethereum based off of the old software and the Ethereum based off the new software. That kind of split has happened to Bitcoin and to Ethereum before. Uh, it gets really messy, though, and Vlad wants to avoid that at all costs. Yeah, okay, so I think I understand enough to know that that is a bad outcome, and a lot is riding on Vlad to convince everyone to take his changes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And he knows that. He knows the pressure he's under. But here's the thing. Even after three years, Casper's not ready. There's been delays, and the people who regularly use Ethereum are starting to get impatient. So what exactly Vlad and Vitalik are trying to do on the world's first explanation of blockchain that won't put you to sleep, we promise, that is coming up. So Matt, what exactly is Casper trying to do? Okay, to understand it, we need to explain how the underlying technology works. This is the technology that we've been referring to as blockchain. Oh, God. Okay, I'm going to prepare myself here. Okay, are you ready? Go for it. So, imagine uh, you want to send me 100 bucks to thank me for being such a great guest host on Decrypted. 
Okay, I, I can see where this is going. <laughs> now, traditionally, what would happen is your bank would check your balance, right? To make sure you actually have that 100 bucks to give me. Right. But then, if you were to give me $100 worth of Bitcoin or Ether, it works differently. So it's not a bank that checks anything or verifies that you have $100 to give. It's these other people in the community that perform the verification. These are the people we call miners. Okay, like gold miners. Yeah, kind of. I presume they're not wearing hard hats and carrying picks. So how, how do they verify what they need to verify? The first thing to understand is how important the history of the ledger is here. Every transaction in a blockchain is recorded and timestamped. So when the network checks for your 100 bucks, there it is. Miners are using these really powerful computers that do tons and tons of trial and error calculations. And the first one to get it right gets rewarded with Bitcoin or Ether or whatever other cryptocurrency you're working in. So think about it right now, that's a free $17,000 for one Bitcoin right now. So there's a lot of money here at stake. And this is how all cryptocurrencies work? Yeah, um, basically, except for a, a few very minor ones. But, you know, it's also a process that's led to a lot of problems. Like what? Well, it's become expensive to be a miner. You're competing against everyone else to be the first to crack, you know, the problem. That means you have to invest in really powerful computers to run these calculations. You need to pay for a lot of electricity to run those computers. That all means that it's mostly big companies and big groups of miners that have all banded together who are dominating the mining of these cryptocurrencies. And there's been a lot of talk recently about all the electricity that these miners are wasting to perform these calculations. Yeah, I don't know if they would say it's wasting, but it's a lot of usage. So, like, a recent report estimated that the electricity used to mine the world's Bitcoin is equal to the electricity used by Ecuador in an entire year. And Ecuador is a country with 16 million people. That is absolutely crazy, particularly now when, uh, you know, CO2 emissions and global warming have become such a big problem. Yep. There's another problem, too. You know, when you're relying on this time-consuming trial and error process to verify transactions, it also means you have a pretty slow network. Okay, how slow are we talking about? At the conference, I spoke to someone named Andrew Keyes. He works for an Ethereum startup in Brooklyn called Consensus, and he compared it to credit card transactions. American Express, Visa, MasterCard all average around 30,000 transactions per second. But if you compare that with Ethereum, the public Ethereum mainnet uh, average at about seven. So if Ethereum can process seven transactions per second and there's demand for 100, what happens? Well, you get a backlog. Uh, there's transactions that are just waiting to get verified, which leads to long delays. That's exactly what's happening now. Recently, it's gotten really bad, too. Uh, some transactions have taken as long as 20 minutes. And Vlad, you know, he's out there saying, hey, my proposal is going to fix this. Good old Vlad. Okay, so what would Vlad's changes actually do? Here's the gist. In the current system, miners are the ones who verify transactions. But Vlad and Vitalik wanted to move that responsibility to these people that they're calling stakeholders. Stakeholders. Okay, the metaphors aren't quite consistent, but tell us, who are the stakeholders? Okay, a stakeholder is anyone who owns Ether. That's the currency, remember, for Ethereum. 
Here's the catch. You have to lock it up in, in like an escrow account or for a short period of time, it's sort of like in a security deposit box. And as they're working on verifying other people's transactions, they get rewarded if they verify legitimate trades. Uh, if they verify bad ones or if they try to mess with the system, they can lose those security deposits. Okay, so I get it. It's, it's against their interest to try to do anything bad. Exactly. And in this new system to verify transactions, um, you don't need an army of computers to be running those energy-consuming, time-consuming trial and error calculations. The verifications here would happen much faster, so the network would be able to take on a lot more volume. It would also be more energy efficient and less expensive. Proponents hope that would have the benefits of allowing more people, ordinary people, to earn more ether and also keep the cryptocurrency from getting concentrated in the hands of just a few rich people and those mining groups that we've been talking about. Yeah, but Matt, it does sound like this is a system that benefits people who already own a ton of Ether, these so-called stakeholders. Wouldn't they just go on to earn more? Yeah, that's definitely an argument against it. But they also feel that, think about the barrier to entry of mining. You have to have all the equipment. You have to know what you're doing. Here, you just have to own the currency, which is a lot easier to get into it. So they hope that it kind of democratizes it. So remember how I told you earlier that people are getting antsy for this upgrade? They're getting so antsy now that Vitalik is pushing another version of Casper. Another version? So there's Casper 2.0? Yeah, they're not necessarily competing proposals, though. Vlad and Vitalik are on good terms, and Vitalik's plan is more like a stopgap arrangement for Ethereum developers as they wait for Vlad's more permanent fix to be ready. Vlad definitely has his own ideas that he wants to fully flesh out, whereas I'm more concerned about, like, let's get something out there uh, now because you know people are demanding some kind of proof of stake to be out there. When Vitalik created Ethereum in 2013, from the very beginning, he intended it to be so much more than Bitcoin, so much more than a network that powers just another currency. Like what? All right. You remember CryptoKitties from a few weeks ago? That's exactly what happened to the Ethereum network this week. An application called CryptoKitties clogged the entire network. CryptoKitties is a great example of an application that's built on the Ethereum network. And it's a game, right? Yeah, essentially. So you purchase these virtual cats and they have their own unique digital DNA. You can breed them and you can collect more cats and sell those cats to other people. It's kind of like Beanie Babies, remember? But if Beanie Babies could have their own babies. Uh, but it's not just that the payments in this game happen in Ether. The blockchain technology is keeping a record of the exact kind of cats everyone owns. So when it comes time to sell your aquamarine kitty, it verifies that you actually have an aquamarine kitty. And I know you have one, Brad. I have two of them. So, you know, basically, this is all being based on Ethereum, and it keeps track of how much Ether is going in and out. And cats are why Vlad has been working so hard on this? Let me give you a less weird example. So the other week, I bought a record on the Ethereum blockchain. I had to pay for it with Ether. Uh, it was about 10 bucks, and I spent, and I, I went directly to the artists who wrote the music. So there was no record company. 
in the middle, no music publisher taking a cut. My 10 bucks was split up exactly as the band wanted it to be. So maybe five bucks went to the singer, three bucks to the guitarists, that kind of thing. So it's cutting out the middleman. Exactly. And it's making it possible to do all of this in an automated way. So imagine how it would have implications for all these other kinds of services that connect people who need each other, like how Uber makes it possible for a rider to get a car and a driver, or how Airbnb makes it possible for a traveler to find a room at someone's apartment. If it's all automated, if it's all code, all of these services would be a lot cheaper for consumers. There's a picture that I love to show people uh, about Apple's evolution because because I'm I'm always trying to basically parallel this Web 3.0 to Web 2.0. This is Andrew Keys, the Ethereum startup guy who I met at the conference. He pulled up a chart on his phone that showed the growth in the number of iOS apps. And it starts out in 2007 where there were zero. And then in 2008, there were 100. Then there were 1,000 up to you know 2018 where there were a billion. So Andrew thinks there will be a lot more crypto kitties in the future. <laughs> yeah, but only if the Ethereum network gets the upgrade it needs, the kind of upgrade that Vlad's working on. When people rushed into the CryptoKitties game, those CryptoKitty users made up 15% of all Ethereum transactions. And that's all for a relatively simple game about collectible cats. Yeah, so imagine how much worse it would be to run a huge, complicated business like Uber or eBay on Ethereum. Okay, so the Ethereum developers have some big dreams for where this technology could go. But they can't do any of it unless they can increase the number of transactions happening at a time. And that means it's all up to Casper. So what's the timeline for its rollout? I asked Vitalik about this uh, and his temporary kind of stopgap measure. And he said he was aiming for the end of the year. This was in early November, and there aren't many days left in the year. And I haven't heard anything yet about it being rolled out. And what about Vlad and his big overhaul? So he said 2018 was very likely, though he doesn't have a hard deadline at this point. I see. But once Casper has been rolled out, can we expect Ethereum to start really going mainstream? That's certainly the hope. Although Vlad was cautious when I asked him that same question about how long it would take to bring Ethereum to the masses, he said, you know, even beyond Casper, Ethereum developers still have a lot more work to do. And that's it for this week's episode of Decrypted. Thanks for listening. Hey, do you use Ethereum and have a story to share? Send us an email at decrypted at bloomberg.net. Or you can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at Matt Lysing. And I'm at Brad Stone. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, I hope you'll take a minute to leave us a rating and a review. It does so much to get us in front of more listeners. This episode was produced by Pia Gadkari, Liz Smith, and Magnus Henriksen. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll see you next week. <laughs>